Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers. We are coming to the end of the story and uh, it's chapter 47 of Genesis today. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for your incredible goodness to us. Father, thank you for this story of succession and faithfulness and covenant that we see just being played out in the story of Genesis, Lord. And we we thank you that by your incredible grace, we become part of that story through Jesus. It is just so amazing. And we thank you, Lord, and ask you to speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I say thank you to everyone for all the kind birthday messages, had a fabulous day, and now (laughs) I've crossed a certain Rubicon. Um, (laughs) Anyway, enough less said about that, the better, but it was a great day and the sea was cold, but the rain was worse. (laughs) Um, Righty-ho, good morning, Kathy and Fran and Chris and Ruth. Uh, We're in chapter 27, as I said. And verse one, so Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. So Joseph and Pharaoh had agreed. Pharaoh had agreed with Joseph's um, unilateral invitation to Jacob to come and settle in the land of Goshen. Good morning, Pete. Um. Pharaoh had not only agreed with that, he'd thoroughly endorsed it. And so, good morning, Phyllis. And so now this whole family, this whole retinue of 70-odd people have come to arrive in the land of Goshen with all their flocks and herds and possessions and a few wagons thrown in by by Pharaoh's kindness. And so now they're in the land of Goshen. And... From among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. So this is the kind of formal reception before the king of Egypt. This is incredible. So there's five of Joseph's brothers and he presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So Joseph had primed them. He told them this is what to say to Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew they were coming. Pharaoh who had already agreed, but this is kind of like a formality and a sort of official formal welcome where they are presented to Pharaoh and Pharaoh confirms that yes, they are welcome. 
and they they say yeah we're shepherds which automatically means they have to stay somewhere just slightly kind of socially distant from the Egyptians because they find the whole idea of shepherds pretty I don't know beneath them or whatever and is a really to me this is a kind of really interesting juxtaposition of cultures we've got these rugged herdsmen from Canaan there pioneers and settlers in the land of Canaan like your sort of wild west frontiers people and they've probably got long beards their skin is tanned by the sun and they've been outdoors all of their lives living in tents and so on and it's kind of I don't know fighting for a living among the elements and then we have this cultured sophisticated elegant setting of pharaoh's palace and pharaoh whose hands would have never done a stitch of manual work in his entire life born to privilege lovely skin probably manicured and facials every day and baths every day and all this kind of stuff and <clears throat> and they so here they are in this palace and pharaoh is officially welcoming them and so he says, but they say, and they're clear, they're not expecting to stay in Egypt. They says, they say, we've come to settle here. We, we're sorry, we've come, exact opposite. We've come to sojourn here, not settle. They, they imagine themselves to be temporary residents in the land for a few more years, maybe, whilst the famine sees itself out. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So Pharaoh is being more than generous. He's being more than hospitable. He's opening up the very best land of Egypt, albeit in a famine. And he's saying to Joseph, sure enough, bring your family, settle them in this land, as we've already discussed. That's really cool. And if there's any of your brothers or people among them who are expert at shepherding, we need some shepherds to, to take care of the royal herds. So, you know, it would be really good to have able men that you've got trained among you to kind of gain employment really in the service of the king and get some financial reward for that and so he's been very hospitable opening up the wealth of Egypt to God's chosen people albeit few in number that they are at the moment. Good morning Fliss and Pat and Mike and so this is a really interesting significant moment and what we have to bear in mind is that God that Joseph said God has made me a father to Pharaoh so Pharaoh has been ministered to by a spirit-filled servant of God for a number of years now and has the blessing and relative prosperity that is still on Egypt in the time of this famine and the fact that they're even able to show hospitality to anybody and to even think about anybody other than their own famine-driven need is because of Joseph's ministry. So Joseph has been there demonstrating the kingdom of heaven, demonstrating the authority, the wisdom of the kingdom of heaven in the land. And so now when um, Jacob, his dad, turns up, it's easy for Pharaoh to say, you are welcome. 
Joseph has been demonstrating the power and the favour of the God of his fathers. And he will have said to Pharaoh over those years, this is the God of my fathers. This is the God my fathers served. This is where my wisdom and my anointing comes from. And so it was a really um, straightforward thing. um, Pharaoh's heart was wide open to receive the father who had brought up this fine man who had become the deliverer of all of Egypt. Good morning, Sarah. So this is a really cool story about the favour of God on the life of an individual. (coughs) Excuse me, then seven, it says, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many days are the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days are the years of my sojourning. Again, I'm a temporary resident even on the earth. The the years of my sojourning are 130 years. And then this is his perspective on it. This is quite sad, but this is his perspective on his life. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Now, I don't think that was just Jacob doing a formality, a little kind of bow and may God bless you. I'm sure that Pharaoh was receptive to this wizened old shepherd standing before him, even though his kind of institutionalized racist xenophobic kind of mind was again you know couldn't really cope with the idea of being close to the hebrews any for any amount of time in this moment there is a a moment a god moment where the patriarch jacob is able to speak a blessing even over pharaoh and this pharaoh who sits before him with incredible power Yet there's a man of God in the house and the blessing comes from the greater to the lesser. And it's really important. It's not that Jacob was in any way higher in status than Pharaoh, but because he carried the anointing and the favour of God in that moment, he is in the position of power even over the king of Egypt. And as he speaks the words of blessing, they have life. We've seen how treasured and valuable the blessing was to Jacob himself, that he would go out of his way to obtain it from his father, even by trickery. And so Jacob understands the power of blessing. He's not just saying, oh, we're so, you know, may God bless you. No, no. Oh, bless you, Pharaoh. This, This is so pathetic. He's not talking like that. He's not. Blessing has been downgraded in our vocabulary. We need to understand it for what it is. It is a powerful release of the resources of heaven into somebody's life when a man or woman of God speaks out a blessing. And so here we go. And Jacob blesses Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses or Goshen, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their um, of their dependents. So Joseph was the key to this whole story. Joseph was the the um, bread of life. Joseph is such a powerful 
um, prophetic picture of Jesus. He's probably the fullest um, prophetic type that we have of Jesus in the Old Testament. And if you go through and look at the ways his life kind of foretells Jesus and his ministry, here Joseph is literally being the bread of life to the nation of Egypt, but also to his brothers and his kinsmen and enabling the nation of Israel to truly come into existence. If it was not for Joseph, we would never have had the nation of Israel. It would never have survived. So this is a truly incredible story. Now, verse 13, now there was no food in all the land for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. So you realise how generous Pharaoh was in welcoming some refugees into his country because Egypt was in the jaws of this formidable famine and it says the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan and in exchange for the grain that they brought and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house and when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan all the Egyptians They'd run out of money. They'd spent all their money buying grain. They'd brought every single penny they had. And all the land of Canaan had brought all the money they had into the coffers of Egypt to buy grain, which was still available if you had money. <coughs> so all, when all the money was spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. So they're saying, we've got no money, but surely you're not going to let us die when you've got all this grain. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. If your money is, sorry, if your money is gone. So here they are. He's saying, right, okay, bring your animals. We'll buy, we'll buy them. We'll swap them out for food. You can buy grain, so much grain per sheep or cow. And they would have negotiated a prize, a standard price, and it would have all gone out. And probably, I don't know whether they weighed the animals or not. But anyway, they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. So even now we've got no animals left. We've given them all over to Pharaoh, but we've still got nothing and we still need food. This is just such an incredibly bad famine, isn't it? And um, he anyway, so he, uh, where, where, where are we? And so they say, we will not hide from my Lord that all our money is spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, so that the land may not become desolate. People don't always understand, I think, how important farmers are to the land, and I'm not going to get off on a rant, but I do think there's a lot of very silly things being said at the moment about farming just because people don't understand what farmers do and the farmers care for the land and these guys are saying listen if you let us be destroyed by this the land itself will become desolate it will lose its 
legendary fertility. We need to keep tending this land, even in a time of famine and drought. And so they say, look, we'll sell ourselves. We'll sell ourselves over to Pharaoh. We'll become his servants. We'll give our land over to Pharaoh. Only just give us some seed so that we can plant it so that the land itself doesn't become desolate. And I think this is just such wisdom from these guys. They understand that they that the nation of Egypt outlives them. They understand that the land is going to be there after them for their generations and their descendants. And if they don't take care of it now, it will be lost. It will become unfruitful and unproductive. And they're saying, give us seed. Look, we'll give ourselves over. And what Joseph does is really interesting. Initially, I thought, gosh, is this a bit oppressive? Is this a bit kind of, whoa kind of in slavery. But what Joseph's effectively done, he's allowed the whole agricultural industry of Egypt to become nationalized. Now, Americans will be screaming at me right now because they hate big government. But what Joseph is doing here, he's he's actually facilitating big government for a season to tide them through a time of famine. And sometimes the wisdom to rule a country is different than what you need to rule maybe in a church or to govern uh, in a different kind of... Anyway, I'm not going to get into that one because <laughs> that's, that's good. I'm going to get, yeah, lots of opinions on that. But the point is that there is a season for lots of different things. And this was a season where a particular kind of leadership was needed. And Joseph set up this system. And this is what he said. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. So they already were a kind of nationalised industry, if you like. And they were working for Pharaoh and their land belonged to him anyway. And therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have this day brought you. Sorry, I have. I need to read it properly. And Joseph said to the people, behold, I have this day brought bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you and you shall sow the land. And as the, at the harvest, you should give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own. And as, as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please the Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph is effectively saying, 20% of everything you grow will belong to Pharaoh. That will come in as taxes. Now, what was going to happen to 20% of all the grain of the land? That was what Joseph had asked for before, wasn't it? As part of his master plan to save the nation. Now he's saying, look, if we can get into the habit of saving up grain, we will have some resource for the future in the event of some similar kind of famine happening. So Joseph is basically putting a 20% tax or rent out on the whole of the nation of Egypt that they will get to remain in their farms and remain in their homes and still have grain. The great the seed will come to them from Joseph. So they're so what they're doing is they're paying tax 
but they're also getting grain back from Joseph for that so they can cultivate their fields. And I think actually the more you look at this, the more you realise this is a very gracious plan for the people because it enables them to survive, but they've also got access to seed corn that they can plant and begin to cultivate their own land. So someone's trying to call me. Okay, so this is this is a really interesting development. And so uh, Joseph says, behold, you know, I've bought the land off of you, and but you can come and have seed and you're going to have a future for your households and food for your little ones. Verse 25. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please the Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So they are completely in agreement with Joseph's plan and they accept it graciously. And they say, this is fine with us. We'll be servants. Verse 26, so what, what they've done, actually, they've established a very a pretty clear feudal system. Um, I don't know how long this lasted, and I'm, I, I'm not prepared to make a judgment about it. I'm just saying sometimes <laughs> the wisdom to run a country is, is kind of challenging to us, looking back on it with a kind of 21st century mindset. Um, verse 27, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So this is the irony and this is the wisdom of God. Even in a place where their sojourners, their temporary residents, they're not going to stay there. This is not their lasting dwelling place. They are actually... Um, Temporary residents, and yet in that status as kind of refugees, temporary residents, God blesses them, they prosper, they increase and become incredibly fruitful and multiply greatly. This is the wisdom of God. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favour in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is, again, just a really interesting story. Jacob doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. He knows he's a temporary resident. He knows his destiny and the future of his descendants is in the land of Canaan, the land of promise that God had promised to him and his, grand, his dad and his granddad this was where their inheritance was to be. And he was saying, don't bury me in Egypt. This is not where I belong. I need you to promise me. But this is such a, I, oh, it's just fascinating how Jacob puts this word. He says, if I, this is to his, his son, Joseph, who admittedly is a prince and he's dressed in all his princely robes. But there's this humility in Jacob that is a result of a hundred and so many years of being molded by God and disciplined by God and challenged by God and resisted and blessed, you know, simultaneously resisted and blessed by God. That he says, now, if now I have found favour in your sight, 
That's the kind of language we might bring to God. If I found favour in your sight or if or to a king. And here's his dad speaking these words of humility. And we have the in, in our memories, we have that story of the dream that we were where even um, Joseph's father and mother bow down before him. And I suppose metaphorically, or at least, you know, somehow there's a fulfillment of that in that his dad is adopting subservient language and the humble language. And he's saying, son, if I've found favor, if, if, if there's any favor from you to me, please do this one thing. And he says, put your hand under my thigh. You remember that Abraham got his servant to do that very odd way of confirming an oath that the one man would put his hand sort of in a very delicate part of the other man's body and sort of literally next to his reproductive organs, he's got his hand in there in the place where no hand is supposed to go. And it's a sign of saying, God, you know, literally by the very life in me that issues forth from my loins, I want you to promise me that you will <clears throat> not bury me in Egypt. Anyway, Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of course agrees and, and makes this promise that, um, that um, he'll bury his dad back in the land of Canaan. So another wonderful, wonderful chapter of the unfolding saga, the development, the how one man, Abraham, became a whole nation and how God protected and watched over his word like 24-7, even in the times of the most abject evil famines and difficulties, God watches over his promise to Abraham and carries on to fulfill it through even down in the land of Egypt. So may God bless you today and may this be a day of immense favour and blessing on your life. And if you're worshipping God with some other saints today, may you have such a glorious time in the presence of God. Fill your place of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. And, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.